Uh, thank you also for your prayers. Um, yeah, my health has just been so um, up and down and just very precarious. So from week to week, uh, there have been challenges. But uh, thank you so much for your prayers. Uh, I'm very grateful. Uh, today also, I'm just uh, really encouraged to see some friends uh, from outside our church. Uh, uh, the other Patrick Cho, you know, San Diego Patrick Cho, but this is Pastor Patrick Cho. Patrick, I know him as Patrick K. Cho, uh, that's, uh, and his wife Grace and the kids are here today uh, visiting and um, just has become a dear friend, a fellow pastor as we share in the burdens and challenges of ministry. And so we can welcome them and uh, offer up a prayer as well. Just God would bring encouragement and uh, support to them. Uh, they're also expecting uh, a little baby soon too, so... A lot that they are going through, and uh, pray that God would be with them. And uh, uh, I don't want to embarrass them, but a dear friend AJ is here, and uh, a longtime friend from I knew him from college days. So you know, just really encouraged to see him here. I want you to turn back to Psalm one forty-five, and uh, as Jesus was reading it. <clears throat> I hope that you could get a sense of why uh, the Psalms in particular were known as the worship book of God, kind of like their hymnal. You know, we even call it the Psalter, uh, where we would go to the Psalms and really use them as uh, songs of worship. And for us to really set the tone for you know, the theme of the year, uh, Sunday Matters, I wanted to kind of use this as a launching point because we want to make sure that whenever we think of any particular topic, uh, is our perspective, is our point of reference really built on the authority of what God's intention is? Now, you know, of course, we have our own opinions and preferences and even agendas. But when we ask ourselves, well, what does God's word actually have to say about the gathering of his people? Do we really consider what God's word has to say? And really, the psalm is meant to be an expression of worship. And where we should always start is, uh, what does it have to say about God? Not, not does it what it have to say about me or well, what kind of benefit is there for me, but am I immediately drawn to who God is. I, I think that's sometimes where people uh, kind of get derailed right off the bat. You come to church and you're not thinking about God. But that's one of the points of our gathering together is throughout the course of the week, uh, you might have been distracted by all sorts of things in life. I mean, whether just the busyness of life or whether there are trials and challenges. And sometimes we come here distracted. We, we come here maybe just bothered, or maybe we're just really tired. And the one thing that the church is meant to do is to bring you to worship God. I mean, just looking at the first 13 verses, uh, this is what we see in reference to God. Verse 1, my God, O King. Verse 3, great is Yahweh, and His greatness is unsearchable. Verse 4, your works, referring to God, your mighty deeds. Verse 5, your majesty, the words of your wondrous deeds. Verse 6, your fearsome acts, your greatness. Verse 7, your abundant goodness, your righteousness. Verse 8, describing God as gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. Verse 9, God is good to all. His compassions are over all his works. Verse 10, your works, referring to God's works. Verse 11, the glory of your kingdom, your might. Verse 12, his mighty deeds, the glory of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Verse 13, your dominion. Now, you don't need to be a theologian of any, you know, depth really to not notice there's a lot to be seen about God. And do you take the time to first start there and say, who is God? And what does it tell me about Him? 
to even be able to say, my God, not just the God or a God, but my God. There's something precious about that if you really recognize it. To recognize him as king and to to, to be able to use his, what they call his forever name, his memorial name. In Exodus 3, when God reveals his name to Moses, and he tells Moses, when Moses says, who shall I say sent me? What name shall I give? And he says, I am who I am. But then he says, tell them Yahweh sent you, and that this is my forever name, my memorial name, my covenant-keeping name. So when it says, great is Yahweh, are we drawn to how great he is? How incredible he is? When we think of just even these aspects of goodness, it says not just goodness, but your abundant goodness, your righteousness. The fact that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. I think sometimes it's easy to just gloss over that and we're just kind of looking to see, well, what's God going to do for me? Well, before you ask what God's going to do for you, think about who he is and what he has already done for you. You Sometimes we act as if God didn't do much for us. You think about the grace and the compassion and the fact that God is so patient with us. I mean, think about it. How hard is it to be patient just with people? You know, how many times have I told you I've struggled with patience with my dog? You know, just having a dog reveals your lack of patience, much less people. And to think about when it points to the glory of his kingdom, the glory of the majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And so when you go over to Matthew 6.33 and it says, seek first his kingdom. Whose kingdom? The kingdom of Yahweh, the mighty king, my God. Are you drawn to worship this amazing God? So when you first center on who God is, then you think about, okay, so how does it show me to worship God? And then you'll see all the verbs in Psalm 145. Verse 1, exalt, bless. Verse 2, bless, praise. Verse 3, God is to be praised. Verse 4, laud or declare and declare. Verse 5, muse. Verse 6, speak and recount. Verse 7, pour forth, shout joyfully. Verse 10, give thanks, bless. Verse 11, speak and talk. Verse 12, make known. All these are the ways that you express worship. Now, when the Israelites worshipped God, they understood not only was it an individual responsibility, but it was always a corporate responsibility. Last week when I talked about how if you look at the history of Israel and especially how they celebrated the Sabbath, it was so ingrained into their lifestyle. I mean, there was... There was no negotiating about that. It wasn't something you said, well, I'm just going to kind of pick and choose what Sabbaths I'm going to participate in. It, what, the life was oriented around it. Why? Because life was first defined about worshiping God. Yes, we are called to worship God 24-7 throughout our lives individually. But you can never separate that from this call to corporate worship. There is a corporate responsibility. Now, of course, we live in a world that's so focused on just individualism. Life is all about me. But as Christians, this is where there is to be a very clear difference. Life for the Christian always starts with God. It also ends with God. And it's also all about God from beginning to end. I mean, that's sometimes hard for us to really grasp and say, well, how do I live that in terms of regular life? Well, this is why we have to keep learning. We have to ask ourselves, so what does it actually mean to worship? When we are to be 
these living sacrifices, which are to be our spiritual act of worship. Well, worship is about God. It's never about me. Worship is also about what I actually believe about God. You need to have a right view of God. Some people have a very misinformed view of God, and that's why their worship is off. And then what I really believe about God and know about God, how do I respond to that in how I think, how I speak, and how I live? Now, one of the things I want to add, and I want to make sure I do this carefully, it really should affect every part of you, including your emotions. Now, that's one of the tricky things. We have to be careful about our emotions. But could you actually say you emotionally worship God. Now, sometimes we don't feel like it. But this is why we have to keep asking ourselves, as I grow to know God, does it draw me into love Him more? To even adore Him? Michael Reeves writes this, the living God is so glorious and kind, He cannot be known without being adored. Those who truly know Him will love Him, and without that heartfelt delight in God, we are nothing but hollow hypocrites. That adoration of God necessarily works itself out in a desire to grow in Christ-likeness. It also fuels a love for Christ's precious bride, the church, and a desire to humbly serve rather than use her. And I think that last phrase is so important. The adoration of God and the desire to grow in Christ-likeness is what fuels a love for Christ's precious bride, the church. And there's a very big difference between saying, I am here to humbly serve rather than use the church for my own purposes. Now, we might not think we're doing that, but how many times have you complained about church and that complaint really relates back to your expectation of what the church what you wanted the church to do for you. But did you first worship God? That's why your view of God really informs how you worship. You cannot afford to not grow in your understanding of God. And especially if your view of God is an individualistic view of God. In other words, you only see God in reference to your life. Then you're only going to think of well, how does God affect me? What does He do for me? And when you, uh, and whatever you want to see happen for your own sake. Now, it's not that God doesn't care for your individual life. He does. In fact, He cares more than anyone. But it's never at the expense of the corporate aspect. I mean, think about it this way. If you only looked at your life and said, well, what, what's God going to do for me? And you didn't care for anyone else here in this room. You're like, whatever. I mean, as long as God takes care of me, that's all I care about. Well, if you have, say, like, you know, 50, 60, 70 people, and that's the way they think, uh, it's no surprise that you don't really have a healthy church. And it could be that you don't understand that there is this corporate aspect of worship that you are called to. This is not just a nice idea. This is not just something to be seen as an opinion. You are called to a corporate worship. That's why Sunday matters. That's why we come together. Last week I talked about devoting ourselves, congregating, assembling, gathering. These are all things that God's people do. And we have to always remember that we are to be the body of Christ, that we are many members of one body. So you constitute this local assembly. You are the members of this local body. And these other members that God has brought you into this body are the ones that you are to consider, care for, love, serve, pray for, bear one another's burdens, encourage. And you see all the one another's that are found in Scripture. Those one another's only make sense when we cultivate this corporate nature of the church body. So not only is corporate worship about God, and not just about me, it is really to be done by uh, we, not me. I wanted to rhyme, but that's not grammatically correct. You know, it, It's to be done by us. 
plural. So last week, if you had a chance to listen to the message, did it prompt you to think a little bit for this Sunday? You know, so I'm wondering, uh, last night did you take some time and go, hmm, maybe I should uh, get my clothes laid out, be prepared. If you got kids, get their four, four outfits ready, right, because they're going to blow through a few on the way. Uh, are, are, do you have the diapers ready? Do you, do you have everything set? Are, 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 your meal, are, you, are you good to go? And then when you woke up this morning, you were preparing your heart and saying, you know what, God, help me. I'm tired. Uh, I was really tired this morning, uh, working at the church yesterday. Just being with the young people just made me even more tired. Because I'm like, wow, I wish they had their energy. And then as you even got out of your car and walked here, did you think about why it matters that you're here? Sometimes some of us need a little coffee or something to wake up. I mean, do what you got to do. But are you purposefully looking forward to corporate worship? Did you also consider that maybe the enemy will work a little bit harder on Saturday night and Sunday morning to do everything to distract you, to tempt you, to outright oppose you to corporate worship? I mean, we're in a battle. Now, last week I talked about Sundays provide opportunities, and I kind of just went through them a little bit, but I'm going to expand a little bit more and uh, hopefully get through my outline today. Uh, Sunday is an opportunity, and uh, I'm going to give you a list of things. First, it is an opportunity for corporate celebration of salvation in Christ. Corporate celebration of salvation in Christ. Sunday is primarily an act of worship by those who are genuinely Christians. Why? Because you have been saved by the Son of God so that you might become a part of the family of God. This is why Sunday is not meant to be what some would call seeker-sensitive. That doesn't mean you don't care about unbelievers. What we do is we share the gospel through everything that we do, whether it's through our singing, through the sermon, through even communion, to highlight the truth of the gospel. But the Sunday gathering was meant to be a gathering of those who are believers. And it's not because we are so great. It's because we're celebrating the great salvation we have been given in Christ. Now think about it. It's one thing to celebrate on your own. I was thinking about this this morning. If it was your birthday, you know, I was at uh, William and uh, Samuel's birthday, and uh, it was a long time since I'd been to one of those like little kids' birthdays. Again, it made me feel even older. It's like I'm the grandpa there. But uh, there's something about birthdays where you're like, you don't just celebrate it by yourself. That's kind of sad, right? Like, like, just say you were by yourself on your birthday, and you just had a cake, and you put a candle, and you blew it out by yourself. You say happy birthday to yourself. That would be really sad. But that's why we gather together. Like you gather family together. You gather your friends together. And, and that's what makes the celebration even more rich. There's something to be celebrated about our salvation. You see, there's nothing else that unites us here, really. That is the true thing that unites us, and we celebrate that. You know, if there's anything you can do, when you see your brother and sister, what you can say is, you know, we celebrate a common salvation in Christ, and that is the greatest thing to be celebrated. I mean, we're all different kinds of personalities, you know, different seasons of life. I mean, some of us have absolutely no reason to want to hang out together, right? I'm sure some of you would look at me and like, old guy, who wants to hang around with old guy? I mean, he's just going to sit there and fall asleep. Do I want to hang out? I'm, and I would totally understand. I, unfortunately, I have gotten drowsy on some people and I feel bad. But when you realize there's something precious we share and we gather together to celebrate that, do you, do you forget that sometimes? Like when you go to church for so long and you forget there's always something to be celebrated. Secondly, we celebrate 
or we, we have a corporate submission to the sovereignty of God. And I really want to highlight this point. When we understand this idea of sovereignty, yes, I understand God's sovereignty in my life, but there are some people who don't like the idea of sovereignty. Why? Because they don't like the idea that they're not in control in some way. There are, in fact, some people who would say that they don't subscribe to the sovereignty of God. And I'm all about free will. I'm going to do whatever I like to do. Well, there's a problem that if you don't submit to the sovereignty of God and then you come together, what you're actually doing is assuming your own sovereignty. You are exercising your authority, your own agenda, and ultimately it's your glory that you're seeking. And that's what causes problems. You see, when you don't have a mutual uh, and a corporate submission to the sovereignty of God, and then people are trying to exercise their own sovereignty, no wonder you have clashes. That's why this corporate submission means that we are all citizens of God's kingdom. We are all slaves to the lordship of Christ. We are all called to a common obedience in humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God. All of that is for us to understand we are to be submitted to the sovereignty of God. That puts us all at an equal level. We are all called to submission. I mean, no one has any authority of their own to tell anyone else what to do or to exercise some sort of agenda that's outside of what God's authority would call for. Third, corporate, uh, we celebrate corporate sanctification, or we have the opportunity for corporate sanctification through the Spirit. And uh, I, I don't want to push this too far. I, I realize this is what makes sermons go long. There's so many things to add. But I want to highlight in Galatians 5, when it talks about walking in the Spirit, instead of walking in the flesh, when you are together with your church family and you are walking in the Spirit together, you grow together. There is a mutual accountability and a unity. You cannot simply afford to be concerned about your own sanctification. But that's why one of the things we do is we come together and we say, let's grow together. You can't just grow on your own so easily. I mean, you could try. and There's a place for your own personal walk with God. That's why we have these practical applications like small groups or discipleship or, or fellowship groups or whatever it might be. And really what we're hoping to see is that the Holy Spirit is the one bringing about growth. You know, that's one of the things where it's, uh, when there's some sense of consistency with people coming to church and you get to see them grow, starting with when someone gets saved. You know, we have folks here who got saved uh, when we, since we planted the church. And then you get to see them grow, but not only just grow individually, see them grow in relation to everyone else. Sunday is also an opportunity for the corporate equipping from the scriptures. I mean, this is what we're doing right now. We are to be taught and trained together so that we would share in that growth process because the scriptures provide the guidance. We don't just follow anything random. We look to the scriptures. And for instance, so when you hear a sermon, one of the things you have an opportunity to do as a church family is to say, well, so what did you learn? And how can we encourage each other in that? That's why when we do our Bible reading, we're going through the Old Testament now. I mean, Angela, even this morning, she says, I have a Bible question. So I was like, okay, good, that's my specialty. And she asked me a question I had absolutely no idea how to answer. I was like, uh, give, me, give, me, uh, give, me, give me some time. But like, there's still so much to learn. That's why, and it's not only about sharing, but when we study God's word and we invest it into others, 
You see, one of the great things you get to do as God's word just really, really just changes your life, you're able to take that and encourage others. And that's what really should be what happens in the corporate sense of our church, even on a Sunday. I mean, some of you go out to lunch and you'll talk, right? I mean, people, we all talk at lunch. What are you going to talk about? And I'm not saying you have to do a straight run through the sermon. That'd be a little much. No one will want to have lunch with you after that. You know? But you can share one thing. You can say, you know what? I learned something today. Maybe something I never really thought about. Maybe something I didn't really consider. We memorize scripture together. Why is that helpful? So that we can always be ready to remind each other of truths that maybe, you know, we don't have our Bible right on us. Well, I guess we have our phones now, so we can always do that. But there's something about memorizing God's word and having it ready to go when someone is in need. And you minister to each other through that. We meditate on God's word so that we can dwell deeply together in God's truth. We are so capable of meditating on things, aren't we? I know I am. I am so committed to meditating on the Dodgers. I am watching everything. I am watching every player movement. I'm seeing who they sign, who they trade. You know, I'm looking forward even to spring training, and I'm waiting. I can't wait for opening day. I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to, you know, hopefully going to bobblehead night with Shohei Otani. I mean, I'm just looking forward. So I think about it. I meditate on it. I memorize the dates. I memorize the lineup. I memorize stats. Do you see what we can do? And that's just sports. If we meditated on God's word together and shared those things together, we could enrich each other's lives so much. Sundays are also an opportunity for corporate celebration of the sacraments. The church is the context for these sacraments, baptism and communion. You get baptized at the church because it's an expression of showing your commitment to Christ and your commitment to his body. It's meant to be a public expression. You are declaring your faith that you are unashamed and willing to tell the world that you belong to Christ because he has saved you. And that's why we see that in the picture of baptism, the dying to the old life and rising to the new life. Now, you only do this once, but you do this in the context of the church so that the church then can affirm you and receive you and celebrate with you. Now, communion is an expression of remembering the work of Christ, the fact that his body and blood were offered as a payment for the penalty of sin so that we might be forgiven, that we might be redeemed by the only one who could save us. And Jesus said, do this as often as you remember me. And so it makes sense for us to remember him often. That's why we have communion every Sunday. We want to not only remember, but we want to proclaim. Jesus says, so that you would proclaim his death until he returns. I don't know when he's returning, but I know that we can keep proclaiming it until then. And we do that together. We proclaim it together to each other. And we proclaim it even to those who come to the church. And say, you want to know what what we're all about? It's not because we're anything special. It's because of what Jesus did for us. You see, that's why you don't take communion on your own. It's not one of those things that you just do on your own. Now, you can have some grape juice and crackers and just call it a snack. And you can even say, thank you, Jesus. That's cool. That's cool. That's okay. But there's something about communion that was meant to be shared together as a church family. You know, uh, I mentioned this before, the Corinthian church, uh, they would have what was called the love feast. And so they broke bread together. They had a meal. And I was thinking about, how would this work in our context? It'd almost be like, say we have Costco lunch, okay? And uh, some, you know, we've called it manna and quail. And we know what the Israelites did with the manna and quail. They complained about it. I remember we had Costco pizza so many times. People were saying, can't we have something other than Costco pizza? And I thought, Israel. (laughs) 
a plague is going to come. People are going to die. I know, you know, but it was always meant to point us to something together. The Corinthian church, they weren't sharing their food with each other and they got drunk. How is that to leading up to communion? Wouldn't that just be just such a, it'd be such a sad picture. Because it was meant for us to be drawn together to worship Christ. Sundays are also an opportunity for corporate serving of one another or to serve together. You know, there's so many times this has happened, of course, over the years, but yesterday was just an example. Some of you, and some might say, do you not have a life? Do you have that much time to go to church and help? And I'm thinking, I hope that's not the way you look at it. I hope that it's because you have a life that says, I want to serve. Even if it's something mundane, even if it's something that doesn't sound so spiritual, cleaning up, it it does not sound like the most spiritual thing to do. But we're serving together. I have a whole list of other things that are opportunities, and I'm not going to go into all of them, but I'll just read through some of them. There's an opportunity for us to bear witness for the gospel to a lost world together. There's something about finding strength and confidence when we share the gospel together. There's also the opportunity for corporate prayer to lift each other up before God. Again, you can always pray on your own, but there's something about, you know, the early church, they gathered together to pray. They prayed for everything. You know, one of the more uh, humorous prayer requests that was answered, I, I was thinking about how the church gathered together because Peter was in prison, right? So they prayed that God would deliver Peter. So God did. God delivered Peter. So he comes and he comes knocking on the house door and uh, they were so busy praying for him, they didn't realize that it had already been answered. And when the serving girl comes and opens the door and says it's Peter, or asks who it is, they don't even believe it. I think that's just funny. Like you, you prayed, God answered. Did you realize God does that? He answers prayers. And there is something to be said about when the church prays together. There are also opportunities to suffer together for the sake of Christ. There will always be suffering. You know, we we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where people get into conflict. We, We live in a time, especially now, where there is more and more opposition to the truth of God. There will always be suffering. But would you suffer together Bearing one another's burdens, encouraging, caring. You know, that's one of the things that I think I've learned over the years too, that there have been hard times and sometimes very lonely times. But then God brings someone alongside to say, you know what, I will share in those sufferings with you. I will help bear the burdens that come your way. I will pray for you. I will seek to encourage you. Sundays are also an opportunity to celebrate milestones in people's lives. You know, when you think over time, uh, again, I think of all our children. You know, they just keep getting older and bigger. I remember when some of them had like no hair, you know, and they're just crawling around and now they're walking around, they're talking. I mean, it's just, and birthdays are an opportunity where you do see these milestones being reached. But not only that, you know, when we have people graduate, when you have people get married, I mean, when we also have, when people pass away, I mean, our church is still young, so we haven't had any of those, but we're going to have funerals at some point. And do you understand we share in those times together? But really it does go back to Sundays are always an opportunity 
to corporately worship God. Don't ever forget that basic foundational truth. When you think about the realities of life and how hard it is to live life on your own and do all that God's word calls us to do, can you not see the wisdom of God in creating the corporate nature of the church so that we can then do these things together? You know, there, there are times when, you know, especially as I'm a pastor and, you know, I've been around for a while and someone might think, well, I don't know how to encourage you, pastor. But you can encourage me the same way you encourage any other fellow believer. Your prayer, your sharing God's word, just even a word of encouragement. You know, I've told you many times, like I've received notes of encouragement and I've saved every single one of those notes. When I get all sad and I think nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I'm going to eat some worms kind of feeling, I go back and I read those notes and I go, no, there are people who have encouraged. You know, sometimes I wonder, especially these days, when people seem to grow less and less interested in attending church regularly, if even at all, and they still claim to be Christians, I wonder if they consider these things, these opportunities. There's so much that we can do when we gather. Now, I want to recognize that Sundays are hard. Sundays are hard. Second point, we're getting there. Maybe for some of you, this morning was hard. I mean, especially those of you. I, you know, I, I feel for those of you who are parents of little ones. I vaguely remember this. Angela had to take care of, I think, 99.9% of the time. And then the 0.1% I tried, you know, my, my little girl's like, like, I want mommy. So, you know, there wasn't a whole lot I could do. But Sundays were always the hardest. Always. And I know I've told some of you this before. You know, if you've been critical towards the families who came late because of their babies, I will pray hard for you to have babies that explode really big on a Sunday morning, and then one day you're going to go, oh, now I understand. So don't be so critical towards the families that come late because they, their baby had an explosion. I mean, for some people, Sundays are the hardest day. Everyone seems to be cranky and uncooperative for some reason. They were great, the rest. And, and we're not even talking just about the babies. We're talking about the adults too. But sometimes Sundays are hard. There are some reasons. First reason, maybe you're struggling spiritually. If you're struggling spiritually, it's no surprise that Sundays will be hard. John MacArthur writes, if you're struggling as a Christian, the tendency is to stay away from the church when the reality is you're probably struggling because you're not there. And there are huge areas of your life where people need to minister their gifts to strengthen you when you're not around. That, that's the most ironic thing, is that you would avoid going to the one place where you would actually then receive the support you need. You know, that's one of the things that that's why I try to encourage you. Like, share your life so that others can pray for you. Why would you not want people to pray for you? For everything. Because we need it. I mean, is anyone here so arrogant to think that you don't need prayer? I know I need a lot of prayer. I desperately need prayer. I know that there are many others here who desperately need prayer. But if you don't come to even share that, you're forgetting that there are people here who are willing to pray for you. I mean, think about when you are kind of going down that downward spiral. Many times people start doing this. You get to the point you miss one Sunday. You miss two Sundays. And now you're like, Oh no, if I go back, people are going to say, where were you? So now I don't want to go back because I don't want to hear that. Uh, I don't know how many times people have said um, over the years, uh, Pastor John, I'm sorry I missed last Sunday. Or I'm sorry I was late today. Or I'm sorry I was not here for the last few weeks, months. And, and I, I've always tried to be consistent on this. So you know what? I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad you're here today. 
Let's just kind of, let's put that aside. Let's put the past aside. I'm thankful you're here today. How can we help you? How can we support you? How can we encourage you? You know, imagine if we could be such a place where people would come and say, you know what? Yes, I am broken down. Yes, I am struggling. You know what? Maybe I'm even struggling with sin. Well, that's why the church is kind of like a hospital. A hospital welcomes people who need help. You might also be struggling because you're becoming too conformed to the world. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may approve what the will of God is, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, how do we become conformed to the world? It's when you love the world more than God. It's when you think of the things of the world are more valuable or more important, or maybe even just more fun. It could be anything. In First John, it also talks about there are lusts of the flesh and lusts of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. First John 2.15 says, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. You, you see, this really ties into all these other things. When you avoid corporate worship, you are then taking yourself out of the place where you are going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind through God's word, through corporate worship. Instead, if and the rest of the week, you have the world imposing and just pressing upon you. That's the idea of being conformed, that you're getting all this pressure to follow the ways of the world. It's no surprise then that that's what will influence you and affect you in how you think. And the more you are conformed to the world, the less inclined you are to want to fellowship with God's people. It just goes hand in hand. Third, you might be struggling because you've let other priorities take over. Now, when we say other priorities, really what this comes down to is you're being selfish. You have a mindset which is very self-centered or self-absorbed, self-serving, self-seeking, but ultimately it's about self-glorifying. I mean, this is what our world is all about today. It takes this idea of individualism to the extreme. In fact, the message is, even to our children, is, you know what? You can be whatever you want to be, including your gender. I mean, what kind of confusing message is that? And, and you realize then that that really feeds into this idea, like, well, then I just want to be whatever I want. I don't care actually what anyone else thinks. I don't care how it affects anyone else. In fact, be careful when you say, hey, you just be you. What do we even mean by that? If everybody's just being you, yourself, what, what it really undermines then is any ability to be unified. Because then we're measuring all of life based on whether you're willing to accommodate what I want. You know, this is what's so self-destructive about this self-absorbed mentality. I mean, when you think about even basic friendships and relationships, you can't have two people who have a self-centered mentality. I mean, think about it. This is why every relationship is challenging. Marriage. You take two sinners and you bring them together to share all of life. Why is it hard? Because we don't usually like doing that. Right, we've used the illustration before. It's like taking two porcupines and, and, and getting them just to try to even hug each other. It would be hard. Because you're going to just poke each other all over the place. How much more a church family? If you have a church family that's filled with people who are only concerned about their own life, and that's what defines their priorities. 
well, then you're going to have a hard time wanting to even come. Fourth, maybe you had a bad experience. This is probably one of the biggest ones. Maybe because you had a bad church experience, you've concluded that church is not, not for you. Now, granted, you might have had difficult, painful, even traumatic church experiences. I'm sure there's some of you here, if I were to ask you, you'd say, yeah, I I had some pretty bad church experiences. But here's the thing. You, You can't let those experiences define truth. You can learn from them because these experiences will challenge what you actually believe to be true. And that's really the test. Do you really believe God's word says that being part of a church body is important? In fact, it's vital and non-negotiable. Or maybe because you had a bad experience, you're like, well, you know, I don't want to get too close. I I don't want to get too involved. I might get hurt again. Well, you know, maybe here's kind of a sad reality. You will probably, probably get hurt again. Why? Because that happens. Some people say, well, I don't know if I can trust the church. Well, really, the bigger question is, do you trust God in the church? If you're saying, do you trust people? Well, your trust will be broken. But does that mean God failed? Does that mean God fails to be true to what he has told us? In fact, does the failure of people mean that I can dismiss everything about the church? Now, to be sure, there are some very unhealthy churches, and you shouldn't go to an unhealthy church. But at the same time, there are no perfect churches. I mean, sometimes when you know people have come and they've, uh, through the membership process or even considering membership, they might say something like, uh, well, Pastor John, I, I came from a really hard church situation, and uh, I'll say, oh, oh, I've had some hard church situations too. Can I tell you about some of mine? And I really get into it. I'll share everything. I mean, I even get very emotional. To the point where some of them have said, are you okay? Are you okay? I'm like, uh, yeah, 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 I'm okay. <laughs> but sometimes when I relive it, it's almost like PTSD. I, I start feeling it. And I'm like, I'm reminded. Even of things that happened years ago. So... I can understand why people struggle with this because you have been hurt. But really, that all that shows is the frailty of men, the frailty of women. The church is really not about the people, ultimately. It's about God. And do we trust him, even in the midst of difficult church situations? I mean, I, you know, I, I think, and I hope no one was discouraged after the members meeting, you know, when I shared that, you know, at the end of this year, I'm going to be stepping down from the senior pastor role. And it's not because I'm wanting to give up on ministry. I, I just, my body's broken and I don't have the same capacity, but it doesn't mean I don't love the church. In fact, if anything, I hope people would know, like, I mean, I've loved church. I mean, ever since I became a Christian, 1978, church was always precious. And yeah, there are some dark times. There are some dark times that made me want to feel like I don't want to go to church anymore. In fact, there are times where I just said, you know, church is horrible. So I I get it when people feel that way. In fact, the the next reason the hardship is is because you just don't feel like going to church. And maybe it's because your bad experiences have contributed to that. Or maybe it could be for any other reason. But that has to then challenge you as to, then what does it mean about your faith? Is your faith really just governed by your feelings? Adrian Rogers, a pastor, he wrote this, if your faith can't get you to church on Sunday, I doubt if it will get you to heaven. I thought that was an interesting quote. Do you even have the faith to trust the Lord to go to church? I mean, if you don't have that, well, what is your faith based on? You know, if we're so easily shaken to the point where we're saying, well, I'm going to dismiss everything that God has actually commanded me as a Christian to be a part of, and that is to be part of a local assembly, 
Is it all based on my feelings? Our emotions. You know, I was thinking about this, and, and this, you know, quote came to my mind. You know, those, some of you might remember this. You know, it was from a movie. The main character says, uh, Your thoughts betray you. Oh, your feelings for them are strong, especially for sister. You have a twin sister. Your feelings have now betrayed her, too. I'm sorry, that sounds more like Yoda. I don't know why, but you know. Okay, that's Darth Vader, right? He's talking to Luke. But he says, your feelings betray you. And I thought, that's so true. If you live based on your feelings, now you're not allowed to have, this doesn't mean you're not allowed to have feelings. But if you base things on your feelings, your feelings can betray you. Oh, I, I I can understand that. You know, when you have feelings of anger, and your anger wants to prompt you to say something. How many times have you spoken out of feeling angry and you said something you regretted? Or maybe it's not just words. Maybe you lash out in anger. Well, your feelings have betrayed you. That's why church can't just be based on how you feel. Now, hopefully at some point you do have the feelings for church that you actually say, I am filled with an anticipation and an excitement to go. Like, I actually feel that. Now, some days you won't. But you can't just say, I don't feel like it. I want to just close with a few thoughts here. And this is just to sum up the idea of Sunday Matters. And some of these are sort of a repeat. Sunday matters because regular corporate worship is a biblical expectation and responsibility. Regular corporate worship is a biblical expectation and responsibility. Again, it's not a suggestion, and it's not negotiable. God has always expected his people to gather together. It is our responsibility to fulfill that command and obey Secondly, regular corporate worship is about worshiping God, not me. I've already been reiterating this. You are always going to be worshiping. The issue is the object of your worship. Corporate worship reminds us to worship God. Or are you still actively choosing to worship yourself? Third, regular worship is about worshiping together with the family of God. We are called the family of God. We were adopted as children of God by God the Father, Christ our brother. The corporate family is actually going to be our eternal family. Because of Christ, we have now been joined together as brothers and sisters for all eternity. That's why we start doing here what we will do forever. What we will be doing forever is worshiping our God together as a family. Fourth, regular worship, corporate worship is about serving one another as a family of God. Again, all the one another's. They testify to the corporate nature, <clears throat> nature of our worship through serving one another. And really, we serve one another because of our love for one another. Galatians 5.12 for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Fifth, regular corporate worship is about encouraging one another because we love one another. In fact, this command to love one another, it is that you would contribute to that loving of one another by you doing the loving. But then you come together so that you share that love. In fact, this is how we testify to the world that we are disciples of Christ. John 13, 35. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It is part of our testimony. When we gather together. In fact, if someone who is not a Christian comes together, there should be something that they really sense is clear here, is that, you know what, this group of people, they really love each other. Why? 
Why do they love each other? I don't understand. And that's exactly where it presents that opportunity to share the gospel. It is because we know the love of Christ. And this loving is not just momentary. This loving is continual. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's why there's something about the persevering and enduring nature of being part of a church family to show that your love is such a love. It's easy to bail when things get hard. I mean, some people, that's why they leave the church. They simply actually stop loving people that are hard to love. And it's understandable because it's hard. But we have been loved by the love of Christ. This is the love that we then are given to share. Sixth, regular corporate worship is about proclaiming the excellencies of Christ. 1 Peter 2.9 uses these four pictures. First, but you are a chosen family. Second, a royal priesthood. Third, a holy nation. And fourth, a people. All of those reflect a plurality, a sense of corporateness. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, God called us out of darkness into his marvelous life so that we would be chosen to be part of this family, that we would be appointed to be part of this royal priesthood, that we would identify as part of God's holy nation and that we would be known as the people of God. You see, we, we do that together. We proclaim his excellencies together. When someone comes, what they should be hearing from everybody is the excellency of God. Sunday matters number seven because forsaking corporate worship is an issue of rebellion and disobedience to God. It is not inconsequential. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. And before you get to that part about not forsaking, it gives you perspective. Verse 19, it says, Therefore, brothers, plural, since we, first person plural, have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. I'm sorry, you read that. Uh, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together. That whole buildup is to help you understand the corporateness of all this. Because some have made it a habit to forsake the assembling together. But don't do that. Instead, encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. We Assemble together so that we can encourage one another. There are always opportunities to encourage because there are always discouraged people. The only question is, are you looking for those opportunities? Are you looking to be the encourager? You need to look for that. And if you're discouraged, take heart. But are you willing to encourage as well? Eighth, corporate worship matters because the church is called the bride of Christ. And this should really give you perspective. Revelation 19.7 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. You know, you talk about the bride of Christ, that's the church. 
And that's what's alluded to in Ephesians chapter 5, when it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Here's such an amazing thought to consider. We, as the body of Christ, are called the bride of Christ. Now, be careful. You individually are not the bride of Christ. Okay, that's weird. But together, we are the bride of Christ. There is this covenantal relationship between Christ and his bride. There's something special, unique, like no other relationship that, that exists. Marriage is this picture. It is the relationship that the church corporately identifies as the bride of Christ. Jesus is the bridegroom. So do you celebrate being the bride of Christ? I don't know how this is all going to look up in heaven, but there's supposed to be uh, the, uh, the, the wedding feast of the Lamb. I, I don't know. Do we get a party there? I mean, do, do, do we get a Korean barbecue, you know, buffet line after that? I don't know. But what I do know is this. What's being celebrated is the relationship of Christ and his bride. That's what everything is pointing toward. There is a celebration to come that everything about who we are ultimately is going to get to. And that is, there is this bridegroom, Christ, and we are the bride. Conduct yourself then as such. Two more real quick. Corporate worship shall always be a priority and never just a preference. Sunday corporate worship was never about convenience. It was always about commitment. So you can't afford to have a consumeristic mentality. It should always be a Christ-centered mentality. Ephesians 3 21 says, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And that leads to the last point. Corporate worship is meant to be passed down from generation to generation. And so I picked Psalm 145. And verse 4, it says, one generation shall laud your works to another and shall declare your mighty deeds. And in verse 13, it says, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures from generation to generation. You know why we gather together? We pass on the greatness of God from one generation to the next. And that's not just in your own family. Yes, you can do that as parents to your children. And now for us, our grandchildren, yes, we are called to pass on the greatness of God. But it's not just your family that you do that. You consider the family of God. We pass on the greatness of God to the nursery to the preschool, the elementary, the youth, the collegians. And as you get older, you pass them on to the younger men when they're single, uh, when they get married, when they have children, when they have grandchildren. That's what can happen when you gather together as you share each other's lives, is that you're continually passing on the greatness of God to the next generation. You know what's going to be amazing one day? I, I think, uh, I, I forget who was the first baby born here. Does anyone remember who was the first baby born? Okay. Well, one of the first I remember was William. Okay. Or at least I held, I remember holding him. I've held a lot of the babies. Uh, I just remember seeing him as a baby. Now, fast forward five years, he'll be 12. Or he just turned seven. Ten years? 17. Ooh, Weird. 15 years, graduating from college, 20 years, 27, time flies. What I hope to see is then maybe one day William and God will save him and then use him and then he'll, maybe he'll teach children in the children's ministry. Wouldn't that be crazy? And some of them will be your children. And that's one generation to the next. A church that fails to do this is a church that's going to die. 
So you all get to be a part of this. Every Sunday matters. Every Sunday is an opportunity for you to pass on the greatness of God. So don't ever underestimate how precious even one Sunday is. Because we have little souls here. And not just the little souls. We have some big souls here too who are younger. I mean, I, I, I think about this more and more as they get older. You know, it's the uh, definitely over the hill. You know, and I'm slowly rolling down the hill. You know, it's just not going to, uh, it's going to end at some point. But there's still opportunity. So what do I have a responsibility to do is pass on the greatness of God to you so that you can then pass on the greatness of God to the next generation. You know, God willing, I don't know if we all end up staying here. I hope many of you do. I know there's a day where I won't be around. But maybe 10, 20, 30 years from now, if God is so gracious and kind to keep our church going, you'll see the children's children. You know, it's like seeing Benny get married and have kids. Oh, you know, that just blows my mind. But that would be so amazing. And some of you hopefully will get to see, stay here and be a part of watching that. You're going to look back, and I hope you remember this message. One day, there'll be another generation and another generation. And hopefully what unites all the generations the greatness of God, because we've been committed to corporate worship. I ask you to bow your heads as we prepare for communion. I just want to read a quote it's from Dustin Benge. He talks about Spurgeon. He says, 19th century pre- preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon captures the admiration all true believers should have for the church in his depiction of her as the dearest place on earth. Chosen by God the Father, purchased by Christ the Son, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, the church should be cherished and recognized as dear by all who call her home. As we think about taking communion again, which is to celebrate what Christ has done, that what unites us, and if you need the elements... Andy will be coming through.